Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by Alan Evans, the Executive Director of the Monroe Institute. In this episode, Alan discusses how Edgar Casey opened her eyes to the reality that we are more than our physical bodies, and how her spiritual exploration eventually led her to the Monroe Institute. We then discuss the history of the Institute and the development of binaural beats, sound technology, and frequency following response. We next discuss the preparatory process for Monroe's gateway experience and how it's used to support higher states of conscious awareness. From there, we talk about ongoing projects at the Monroe Institute, including Alan's spoon bending course and the Expand app. We then talked about how the author of The Men Who Stare at Goats tried and failed to debunk the Institute's remote viewing course. Next, we talk about the military and intelligence community's work with the Gateway process. We end the conversation talking about sound healing for chronic illness, miracles, and non-physical friends. Outros for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Please enjoy! Welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. This afternoon, I'm very excited to be joined by Alan Evans, the Executive Director of the Monroe Institute. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. (laughs) Doing great. It's rainy here. It looks like it might be raining where you are, too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here in Denver. It's it's kind of funny weather. It's kind of all over the place, but not too shabby. So uh, for the listeners' benefit, Alan, uh, and I mentioned, is the uh, executive director of the Monroe Institute, which is a really incredible organization that is is paving the next forefront for this uh, research into consciousness. And we'll get into a lot of that kind of stuff. But maybe uh, before we get into all of that, Alan would love to learn a little bit more about your personal story and uh, what uh, what your background looks like and how you ended up joining the Monroe Institute. Well, I had a very interesting journey. And, you know, it's interesting, I think, where people step into this self-exploration path is usually out of curiosity. And that's certainly where I came from. Um, I did have a very conservative upbringing. I was raised Episcopalian and had never heard of something like reincarnation. And once I got into my early 20s, mid 20s, I started reading books because I was very curious. I was a lost soul trying to figure out what it is I was here to do, what I was supposed to be doing. And I just kept reading books and then stumbled across the work of Edgar Casey. Are you familiar with Edgar Casey? I'm not. He was he was the sleeping prophet. So he was a Methodist who all of a sudden started channeling and his uh, he had, it was his work was transcribed. So there's thousands and thousands of transcripts. So that was my introduction to, hey, there's more than my physical body. And that's something that we, that's one of the, that's our only dogma here at the Monroe Institute. You are more than your physical body. So that really rocked my world, you know, to go, wait a minute. This man is tapping into this. He's bringing information. A lot of it was for healing work. He could channel uh, information about what the person should be eating, drinking, doing to heal. So that put me on a totally different path of curiosity and going, okay, what's happening here? 
how do I get some? <laughs> so um, that I started going, you know, I think I want to be more intuitive. I want to figure out how to do this myself, how to get my own answers from my higher self, from guidance, and whatever that may be for the individual that you're wanting, you know, you're just wanting the higher perspective. So I started reading more books. But about uh, six months into it, I got very frustrated because I realized every book I was reading, now this was the seven, uh, 80s, this was in the 80s, every book I was reading was about or was written by someone who identified as being gifted upon, you know, like being three years old, five years old, and having these talents. Well, here I am in my mid-20s. I don't have those talents. I don't have those abilities. So how are you going to teach me? Yeah, that, that was my attitude. So I was like, okay, now I have to go on a mission to figure out how to do it myself, and then I'm going to teach other people. So that was really my driving force through my on into my 30s. And I think that eventually led me to here because, of course, Monroe Institute is one of those places that can help you enhance your intuitive abilities. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And definitely would love to get into some background on the history of the Monroe Institute. But maybe before we get there, would love to ask about your personal spiritual development and I'm curious, do you still identify with the Episcopalian or Christian faith? And, and do you think that what you're doing at the Monroe Institute is necessarily at odds with maybe traditional interpretations of the Christian faith or, or complementaries more so? You know, that's a very interesting question. And um, it's, it's also a, a, a tough question. <laughs> uh, I will say that it, when I am speaking about this, I always say I identify as a Christian. And that has to do with my upbringing. Um, I do think I look at things a little bit differently than, say, uh, the the Christianity of my youth. But I do think that they meld well together. And as an example, uh, in the I would think it's in the seventies. Um, I'm not sure of the exact uh, time frame, but I'm pretty sure it was in the seventies. We had a monk come from, um, and he was the leader of the of that particular monastery in Canada came down and just, it ended up being written about, and I believe it was in the Washington Post, uh, about how he said, you know, you guys, you Americans, you figure it out so fast, so everything so quickly, we're just using this technology and we're, we're able to do what took us 25 years, 30 years of sitting to do. And, and again, they had, you know, there's a belief that this gentleman had that wasn't influenced or interfered with by our sound technology. So we, you know, we have all types and all walks of life who come here and uh, together and experience the Monroe Sound Science and HemiSync and the Monroe Institute. Wow, that's beautiful. So with that, let's get into what is the Monroe Institute? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hogswort place. <laughs> <laughs> it's where you go as an adult and have a whole lot of fun. <laughs> um, so it, it was started by Robert Monroe. And interestingly enough, he was in the radio business when he first started in the 50s and uh, did really well there. But eventually he got in, an interest into what we do, what happens at night when we sleep. And can we learn while we sleep? So that's what segued him into this, what became now, what has become now our sound technology, because he started working with it for helping people learn. Let's, let's just pick a subject like a language 
while they sleep. And then it went, it took another step because what has surprised him is when they brought in test subjects, the test subjects had trouble going to sleep. So then they started working with the, the sounds and the frequencies to help, to help induce sleep. And as this progressed, he brought on some young scientists. And at the time, they just helped him part-time. Uh, Tom Campbell is one of them. I don't know if you're familiar with the theory of my big toe. He eventually was working at NASA, and he now has his own lectures that he gives that are very powerful. So I highly recommend checking him out. And another gentleman named Dennis Minerich, and Minerich, and they Dennis actually read an article about the binaural beat technology that was invented in the 1830s, or not invented, discovered in the 1830s by a German scientist. He read the article and he and it, it clicked. He's like, okay, we need to do this. So that's when it really got exciting and it changed uh, what was happening here. And Bob Monroe was quoted as saying, I've got a tiger by the tail and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and, <laughs> so it was some powerful stuff. So they would get, Dennis and Tom would get in these different separate, and I'll just call them Faraday cages because that's a more common term. And they would take journeys together using the sound technology. So they would go off. They would be directed to do that. Then they would, be, they would have a microphone also in there. So they would record those journeys. Then they would come out, be isolated from each other, share the story with Bob, each individually. And then they would come together. And they actually were doing things together in, the, in those meditative states. Um, it also led to what, what we call the explorers. And that's a group of volunteers that would come in and Bob spent hours and hours with these individuals adjusting and using the sound technologies. That's, how, that's why we have so much information about how we can be purpose driven. And the, the results of that are amazing. And you can find some on our website, the actual recordings of these explorers experiences. Yeah, it's fun stuff. It, it, it <laughs> is really fun stuff. And maybe it'd be helpful to define a, a few terms that you mentioned, including like sound technologies and binaural beats. Okay. So the let's start with binaural beats because that's where it really started. And that is a phenomenon that happens when you have one frequency in one ear, another frequency in the other, and then the brain perceives the difference. So you can kind of think the brain is the third ear, so then that, that's heard in the brain. The brain is trying to uh, rebalance itself, and it leads to a, what's called a frequency-following response, or at least that's what we believe. Now, there's still so much we don't know about this, but that's, the, the, that's where we um, are at this moment with our understanding. And so if those frequencies, so you have, a let's say, an example of a 104 hertz or cycles per second, one frequency, 100 is the other frequency playing in the other ear, the brain subtracts it. The brain is hearing four, so then that's going to lead you down or help you have the possibility of being directed to a different brainwave pattern than, say, a C1, what we call it, beta, or here, here we are wide awake talking to each other. Wow, that's fascinating. So what are the different type of brainwave states that people will experience in their normal states of consciousness? And what are the frequency ranges that at the Monroe Institute you're trying to help people get into to, to work with these altered states of consciousness? 
So first, I want to say right now, we're in a very exciting phase because we are working with what we now call Monroe Sound Science, because we've had an evolution, of course. What Bob did was a good while ago. We've had an evolution of technology, of our understanding of things. So we now can work with a much broader scope of of understanding. And yes, the binaural beat technology is, is amazing and will, will remain so to this day. But now we can add some other type modulations to it, which have uh, proven to be very interesting. And one of those is that with the sound technology now, we have a way to actually help the brain go to a gamma state. With hemis or the with the binaural beats, that wasn't something you could always you could always go to any state. This never it's never a cap or stopping you. But there was not a way for that binaural beat technology to help lead you there. So we've got exciting things going on, and we're we're doing all kind of experiments and things, whether it's uh, with individuals just more anecdotally in our programs or with our research uh, director. Uh, we do have um, ways that we're seeing what's happening here, and it's 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 an exciting future. Yeah, yeah. And could you talk about maybe what typically happens in some of those different brainwave states of alpha, beta, gamma, theta? Right. So, and that was, let's go back to what you originally asked me. And that's, let's be more specific based on Bob and Rowe's model. So Bob and Rowe used what he called, or he labeled them focus levels. And these were after he started having his experiences. And then we went into the explorers. Uh, that there were there were certain places that it seemed like we could go as individuals that had very similar experiences. So like a focus 10 is what he called one of them. And in that state, when we have a combination of frequencies that help us get there, or we can do it without it, um, we find ourselves in a state where we feel, it, the perception is mind awake, body asleep. So we very much feel like our body is in this deep, deep, relaxed sleep state, but our mind is wide awake and alert. So that's focus 10. And focus 10 to me is one of my favorites because I think it's the primary training ground to help you learn how to stay alert in these deep meditative states. And a fun thing about focus 10, you can actually, uh, until you experience it yourself, you don't always believe it. You'll be in fo- you could be in focus 10 and you hear someone snoring or breathing very heavily and you're in the room by yourself and you just kind of go, wait, what's happening here? It's you. You all of a sudden realize, hey, it's me. <laughs> so your body literally can go to sleep. That's wild. So that's one level. And uh, there's four that we uh, introduce in what we call our gateway program. And that's our, you know, the first entryway typically that people take to us. And the second one is focus 12. And that is a place I still consider it like within the realm of of us. It's it's all it's the container of us, but it's a much broader container. It's like scaling down the physical and reaching up to that higher self and that bigger self perspective. And we tend to in these deep meditative states when we are in focus twelve, we tend to have nonverbal communication. So it's like we're getting more like you can kind of think about how you receive information in dream language and dreams that it could be a symbol. You see, you know, you see yourself picking a flower and that flower is a rose and the rose is a red color. So that tends to be the the most common way that we get information in that state. And then focus 15 
is called No Time. And it is the idea there is that when we find ourselves in that particular territory, that that particular place in the map of consciousness, we tend to be able to access more past, future, uh, parallel um, realities that are happening. A lot of people see it as just this big void that is it, so it's a place of initiation. If you just are there, it can be very still and very quiet. You initiate, it takes on this life, and you can have experiences. So again, this is all happening while you're meditating. You know, your eyes are closed. You've got the sound uh, technology helping you and working with you. And then the final one on, for Gateway is Focus 21. And that's the bridge state. So that's where we're getting ourselves beyond our self-containment. And that's where we can have interactions with those who have deceased or other energy beings. Uh, we also might even, if we're in 21 and we've got a friend in 21, we could, even though we're both still here in this in this current reality, we could interact just kind of like um, Tom and Dennis did in the earlier days. Uh, so And so is... Um... Is there any type of like mathematical relation to the different focus numbers or like what's actually happening on the tapes at the different levels? You know, it's, it's a different combination of frequencies. So, and I don't have, the, even though I'm the executive director, I don't have the secret formula. Um, and if I did, I wouldn't even properly understand it uh, because that's not my role, right? But um, what I do know is that when I can give you an example, like a focus 10 level, again, I don't know the recipe, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of delta because that's going to put you to sleep. There's a pretty good bit of beta because that's going to keep you awake. And then you've got, you know, the other variations. And it's not just a straight, um, it's not just a straight signal. It's a combination. And that's what makes this so amazing to us over the years. It's been so refined that it's, it's combinations of these things. It's not, again, just a flat signal. It's not just a theta. It's not just a beta. It's just different variations of it and different variations hitting at different times. So it's, mm. a, it's like a, it's a composition, a well thought out composition. Wow. Yeah. And just, you know, from my uh, personal experience, you know, before about a year ago, most of my exploration of higher states or altered states of consciousness had been through the use of psychedelics started doing transcendental meditation about 10 months ago and then started the gateway process about two months ago. And it has just really been just such an accelerant and and so much and not even just when you're, you know, using the tapes for meditation, but also just in my everyday waking state, I feel like my brain is more coherent. I'm more present. It's, it's just been such a phenomenal journey for me so far. And I'm just scratching the surface. Yeah, we like to say we're the psychedelics without the psychedelics. <laughs> so definitely a good alternative. Um, but you're right; it's very, it has very practical applications too. You know, so it, it, there are uh, combinations that can help you be very focused and alert. And even the military's done studies on that, where you were doing some mundane task, and I scored better using when I was listening to. Uh, the frequencies that were helping me concentrate better than if I were without them. Hmm. Wow. So um, with that, maybe we should dive into a little bit about what actually happens uh, during the gateway experience in in terms of what are some of the uh, preparatory phases for getting into that focus 10 state initially. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. The preparatory process. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the preparatory process, Bob called it, um, it was a, he, okay, he, let's step back. His whole premise with, with this is, this is great. This is a tool, but it's not designed for it to be a crutch. So let me introduce this process that helps you the minute you start working this process, that's going to help lead you to that specific state of awareness. So that that's part of the purpose of the preparatory process. And everyone who's been listening to any of uh, the earlier exercises, you hear that, and you'll know what I'm talking about, you hear that uh, wave sound, uh, the surf sound. So the more you do that, the more the minute that starts happening, you know, your, your, your body knows, okay, we're about to do this and it relaxes. So you know, that's, that's what that's about. Um, the other, the other phases are resonant tuning. And so that's just a way to energize our body. You know, uh, this has been going on for centuries that we use sound to elevate our vibrations. So uh, again, um, it was a step that Bob put in there because he felt like it was a way to uh, help us work with our energy body. Uh, you can think about the breath coming in and going out. So it's a way to actually cleanse the the energy body. Uh, so it did, he didn't, he, he, he did not attempt to, or he didn't profess to borrow from different um, disciplines, but you know, that one has been around for a long time. And then there was the affirmation, which um, I find very interesting because there's a story behind it. Before I go to the affirmation, I want to talk about the reball, the resonant energy balloon. And Bob loved acronyms. We have a lot of acronyms. <laughs> so the resonant energy balloon is this sphere of energy that's around you. Um, it's, it's some people would call it an aura. Some it's the subtle biofield, uh, your energy biofield, and we just use that a lot in our trainings to help people learn how to work with their own energy body. It can be, you can think about it as permeable. It's intelligent. It's can be a protector. It can be an energizer. When you start working with healing, if you choose to go in that direction, it's, it can be used to help with that healing process and helping you be a vehicle for receiving um, you know, the, that healing energy through you. So the the reball we talk about that and it just has you imagine it being around you and then different exercises will have you do different things with it as I'm sure uh, you've experienced. And then the back to the affirmation. So the affirmation is something that came along later and it starts with I am more than my physical body. <laughs> and it then talks about that you're wanting assistance. And the assistance that you're wanting is uh, equal to or greater to yourself. You're here to explore. You want assistance. So it's, I'm more than my physical body. I'm here to explore. Um, I want some assistance here. Thank you very much. And then you can end it with gratitude you know, at the end if you would like. So um, once, as you keep going through the exercises, and I'm sure you're at this point too, since you've said you've been doing it. You can you understand you can create your own affirmation. It's not that you have to be memorizing. I remember when I first came to Monroe for my first gateway, and I'm thinking, oh, I gotta memorize this. I'm gonna get up there and I'm not gonna have it memorized. It's just gonna be so bad. Well, I'm on the plane. My plan is I'm gonna do this on the plane. Well, I get there, I'm at the luggage, and I go, Oh, dang it, I didn't memorize it. So I show up without having memorized the affirmation. 
it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> uh, so again, it's a it's a good way to lead you into it, but it, it's not it's not anything except uh, I want the dogma is I'm more than my physical body, and the uh, other are just steps. But here's the interesting thing: this affirmation came from the explorers, from those sessions with the explorers, and before then. The explorers had had no contact outside of more of themselves, the realm of themselves. And when they started asking for assistance equal to or greater to myself, that opened up this bigger jump. And it started with one person, and then the rest of them started doing it, and none of them talked to each other. None of them knew who each other were. So we, you know, I believe that the affirmation is very powerful. Wow, that's great, and that's that's good to know that it doesn't need to be uh, verbatim. Because I definitely, I definitely struggled with that. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking as I was telling you that, I thought, you know what, he might not know that because when you listen to the tapes at home, you don't have a trainer, uh, you know, guiding you. And I had listened to the whole thing before I came to my first gateway, just like what you're doing. So uh, no, I thought I had to, you know, I thought I had to memorize it after doing that for. The whole at that time it was six series for me. They hadn't uh, produced the seventh series yet. Hmm. Wow. So um, I want to go back to this idea of being more than your physical body. And you know, today I think we live in a culture that, even if not a majority of people don't necessarily agree with these contentions, I think the people who kind of dominate the the perspective of conventional science would have you believe that, you know, this is your only manifestation of life, that we're kind of here as a random combination of genetic mutations. And that after that, you, you know, once your body's done, you're done as well. And so I'm curious if you could uh, maybe just elaborate on what does the idea of being more than your physical body mean to you? To me, well, that it does open up initially when I first started buying into that, it was more about that I did have help beyond myself, and there was a bigger plan, a greater plan. There was a higher self that I could communicate with and and be guided by. Um, it's not, you know, just because you get guidance doesn't mean you have to take it, and it's not necessarily, um, you have to be very discerning. My, and again, this is my belief. So this is Alan Evans talking. <laughs> uh, so I, I believe that, you know, we go on, you know, so this is, we have signed up for this human experience and it's, and there are other Monroe people who believe this as well. We're very special that we have the ability to have this experience. And there are a lot of others who wish they were here having it. And because we get to experience emotions and we get to feel things, touch things, taste things, smell things. Um, that only we can do in this physical experience. So, you know, my encouragement to anyone out there is to really look at this as an amusement ride and do things that challenge you, do things that you love, do things that are enjoyable. And when you get into those spots of of desperation or um, pain, which we all do, that's life, as much as you can pull yourself out of that to, and look at it more from an, a, an observer perspective that, you know, oh, this is what pain feels like. Oh, this is what a broken heart feels like. 
uh, oh, and then let's take it to the other side. This is what joy feels like. This is what happiness, this is being a little risky. Yay. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> jumping out of that airplane, I got to do that again, you know, so, um, I, so it's, it's exciting to be here. And I think a lot of times when we're seeking self-exploration, when we're seeking a spiritual path, we kind of want, it's like we're wanting to get rid of this part of it, you know, this physical, this physical experience. The physical experience is it. That's our purpose right now. That's our soul's purpose right now. And when we get hardships and things like that that line up, hey, my belief is you signed up for it. You were you were over there in that little holding station with your guides, <laughs> and you said, okay, I really need to learn this. I really need to do this and I need to have a little fun with this. It, you know, so you signed up for it. Just remember that even at the depths of whatever you signed up for it. So experience it yeah. to the depths of your being. And then when it's time for us to go on, it's time for us to go on. And that's the next evolution. What is that? I mean, Bob would tell us in his books, he wasn't going to stay around. He wasn't coming back for another round. I had a, a funny story. I had a psychic once say, like she almost was like apologetic. She shook her head. She goes, oh, Alan, I'm sorry, but you got about another thousand <laughs> to come back. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, don't say it's not so, you know, because, you know, the the whole idea is you just want to do it and get on, right? But um, so we'll see how, how many more times <laughs> I have to come back <laughs> to learn all my lessons. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. We are more than our physical bodies. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. And it definitely resonates with uh, a lot of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's teachings and and the Vedic tradition, which I'm in a master's program at MIU right now. Um, But yeah, he very much emphasized this idea of enlightenment is a state that is latent and possible within any human and that it's just a matter of getting to that state. And, And to your point, if you don't get there in this physical manifestation that you you just come back in another lifetime. And so it does seem to, to resonate with a lot with, with kind of how your views have developed as well. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because um, this morning I was listening to, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the work of David Hawkins. Um, he wrote Power of I've heard Force. I've heard about him. One of my good friends is a huge David Hawkins fan. I haven't, haven't read it yet though. So um, he has lots of books and he's, he's no longer with us, but he, he left it behind a pile of books. <laughs> so I'm listening to one on Audible this morning and it talks about enlightenment and what all the different steps. And as he keeps talking about what happens as you become more enlightened, I'm going, oh man, I don't want that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to be like so just like where I go off by myself and um, detach from everything because I no longer need that as part of, part of my spiritual journey. And, you know, I'm, I'll get rid of all those habits I have. And, you know, no, I don't want that. So, you know, you might not want to be, you might not really in this lifetime be ready to go all the way. Uh-huh. But you can go up. And and that's what I love about David Hawkins' work is you you can keep moving yourself up vibrationally, and me personally that for, in this lifetime I'm thinking 500, which is a level, a vibrational level that he says is unconditional love. That's what I want to hit. I don't think I want to go above it. <laughs> Do you think that there's a way to like actually measure that? 
you know, he David Hawkins' work uh, has a way to he he introduces a way to do that, which is more through kinesiology. Mm. Um, we do have there are instruments like, for example, the person I train with, Dr. Brian Daly. Uh, he's an MD from Rochester, New York, and he has been tested in a lab um, on a heal on his healing abilities. And he passed every test, which was which was a machine based test, and there were twenty of them, and that named him to be a full spectrum healer. So there are different ways to test things. Um, I think we're still learning as a um, in in the research field what actually that all translates to. We also Brian and I in our energy medicine program we teach here at the institute we use what's called biofield imaging. And it's a software that lets you look at the subtle energy body field. And it it's a visual for you to see that changes are happening within your energy body. And that when you're working with energy, there's something really going on here. Um, so we and that's um, a, a new area of interest in research to really start focusing in more on that um, on our subtle energy biofield. Wow. Wow. And I think that's a great uh, segue to talk a little bit more about what type of uh, research you're all doing today at Monroe Institute, because it seems like there's just so much really fascinating work that's being done. So yeah, maybe maybe we talk about what type of research is being done, and then what are some of the uh, available training platforms for folks who may be interested in, in uh, participating in the research directly. So we we have several different things going on. Um, we have something that's new that we're doing with IONS, which is Institute of Noetic Sciences, and in a collaboration, and we're looking at collaborating also in within that body uh, with, with MUSE. And that's a way for us to be having virtual labs. So we're real excited about that. Uh, we also do uh, just, we have sessions in our Faraday cage, just to, so that's a term that everybody understands. Uh, it's an isolated booth that's that's uh, shielded, and we can use what we call mind mirror technology to. And it, it involves a different type of EEG system, but we can get measure brainwave activity. We have a program at the institute that we teach about three times a year called Discovery, and you are actually um, wired up, and we're looking at your brainwave patterns as you're experiencing uh, the different exercises. So, you know, those kind of things are going on. And then we work with UVA, um, which is the University of Virginia. So we, we, we have our, um, we have several different things going on wow. in, in the area of research. What about what type of in-person trainings do you offer for people who maybe want to come uh, to the Monroe Institute and train with you directly and learn how to, you know, kind of access some of these higher energy states? Okay, so um, Gateway is, and we mentioned earlier Gateway, that's a great one because it's Bob Monroe's introductory program. It is a very vintage experience because it's his creation and with the original HemiSync technology. It's my favorite way to do it because that's the way I did it. I did what you did, listened to the tapes at home, and it didn't take me long to be here in person and have the experience here, which is very different and more intense with trainers and in the community itself, you know, with a group environment. But we have many other programs. We have residential. That's how we mostly operated for most of uh, the, the uh, Institute's history. But when we had our recent uh, pan pandemic activity, that pushed us out more into the virtual world, the online world. 
So we now have a nice selection of things um, online and what we call virtual, which is real-time uh, training. So you could actually, we like what we're doing here, you would be in a group with 20 people and have two trainers. And, if, and all through the days, you'd be having exercises and setups and debriefs similar to what we do here on campus. And then we have some short programs. And one that I've recently taught uh, with Luigi uh, Scambriella, who is our uh, one of our UK trainers, uh, and also we actually created it together is spoon bending. It's a short spoon bending class. It's about five hours. And that's a, I call it the bells and whistles <laughs> because it's, it's shiny and bright and people come in and, and we have a great time. We've been cutlery, but usually people walk away with a lot more happening, you know, and going on. And we have, some, we have webinars we do once a month that are three hours. The one we just finished this past month was meeting your guides. Yeah, so we have, those are uh, really uh, different price points so that all, everyone can have an experience that wants one. And the greatest thing that we've done lately, we launched it in July of last year, was our Expand app. And that has uh, Monroe Sound Science exercises. And we have about 80 right now that are on there. And it's, uh, I highly recommend it. <laughs> And so what would some of those sound exercises be like for folks who want to check it out, the Expand app? So we have categories, and it it covers our program categories typically. So one that I do a lot of the meditations in on the Expand app I've written and voiced are the healing ones, the ones related with healing or with releasing things that no longer serve you, uh, that kind of slant. And then we have um, things to do with sleep because we do have a good idea about how to help people sleep better. We have relaxation, of course, just a typical category. We have joy and meaning, which is more about um, manifestation and just being content and and finding peace and balance. And then we have the more of the the journeying category. So by location, um, out of body, lucid dreaming, uh, those kind of things that... So we really have a wide range. And we also have a timer function that lets you pick different signals, different sounds that will play over and over again that that can even just to concentrate. But it also can be for relaxation or creativity. So we have a wide range. And we've been doing this about 50 years, so we know what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, uh, comparing ourselves to the market you take a deeper dive when you go with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is definitely for sure the case uh, <laughs> in, uh, in my limited you know experience with uh, Monroe Institute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I want to go back to the spoon bending class. I'd okay. love to learn more about, you know, how does that work? How do you train people to bend spoons? So, you know, it, it's interesting because when Luigi and I started this last April, and it was funny because um, I, I, I contacted Luigi and I said, hey, I want to do this. Will you do it with me? And he's like, no, <laughs> he had never he had, hadn't been successful or if he had bent one, it'd been a long time ago. You know, and he was like, uh, I don't want to be up there teaching it when I haven't. And I was like, oh, come on, it'll be fun. So he did it with me because he's like me. We'll do anything once, you know, <laughs> and, and we kept doing it. But uh, so during that particular program that he that he co-trained with me. He was successful, and so he decided to continue. But it's it's interesting because we tend to have about a 90%, on average, a 90% success rate for people. Yeah. And then what happens, we find, is that because we teach you techniques, 
if you are really focused and you go, okay, after this, I didn't do it, but I really want to learn how, and you put those tools in place, you will be successful. Interestingly enough, we really weren't sure, could we do this in five hours? You know, could we be successful to this percentage of, you know, nine, like up to 90%? We started with eight hours and we had success. So then we go, hmm, let's try five hours. And we knocked it down to five and we are having success. Luigi and I have even done it for a Mind Valley audience for three hours and had tremendous success with 800 people who we couldn't see. Wow. You know, so it, it, it's working. And I think a big part of it is just introducing you to the idea that you're more than your physical body. It's possible. The group energy, you see others starting to do it. And it just starts, people start really um, going from believing to knowing in their headspace, their left brain can analyze, but it will step out. Now, you know, not everybody can do it that first go around. And, and for some, it does take a little bit more time. But if it's something just like out of body, just like lucid dreaming, just like uh, meditation, deep meditative experiences, if it's something you really want to do, something you really want to learn, and you put attention there, you will do it. Wow. We all just have different time frames that we do it. Wow. I mean, that's so fascinating. And what I'm, the crux of what I'm trying to get at with this discussion, spoon bending in particular, is, you know, if you are having that much replicatable success, how has the broader scientific community still been so reluctant to recognize consciousness as a legitimate field of inquiry? You know, that, that's an interesting question. I think we're in a big shift right now. And I think, we're, you know, we're seeing more people putting out, who, who have the resources, putting out the resources, saying, hey, I want to fund this research in a way that we've never seen before in, in the history of the U.S. or anywhere. And so um, I think we're about to see a big shift in, in how it's perceived and our understanding of it. It just had to, it had to grow with us. It had to mature. And it also had to overcome conservative up you know and when i say conservative i would just mean like with um different ideas about our physical body you know and so you know as we talk about the work that's that's been done you know you mentioned to me before the interview that there is a, a funny story of uh, the author of the men who stare at goats who actually tried to come in and disprove uh, the work being done at the monroe institute so i'd love to hear a little bit more about that story so ron johnson was his name and he was on a mission to debunk all of these things he heard about. And if you haven't watched the movie, it's a funny one. You need to go see it. But it, so one of them is the cloud dispersing. Have you seen the movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he's like, when George Clooney is like reaching his hand up in the sky and he's like focusing on the cloud, disperse the cloud, that's actually um, some, someone, uh, Emoto was his name, um, said that that was something you could do. So any of these type and remote viewing is another one, you know, any of these type things that could happen, um, he was trying to debunk and he was visiting, surprise visiting places uh, and interviewing people to prove his hypothesis. So he showed up at the Monroe Institute unannounced and he had his camera crew and he said, I want to film someone in that, and again, I'll call it the Faraday cage, remote viewing. And at the time, Skip Atwater was the the president, and Skip said, you can do that, but the only stipulation is you're going to do it. So he was like, okay. 
So he took Ron and he, he gave him a little tour ahead of the, the experience. So they t- he takes, takes him to our lecture hall and he just shows him like it's very methodical. And, and Skip was military, very methodical. Here are the chairs. Here are the tables. There's the lectern, lectern, just pointing out every little thing, having Ron look at it. So then after the tour, they go get him settled. They've got him hooked up with the sound technology. He has a mic, you know, to his mouth so that he can say what's happening. Skip is in the control room. Skip has got a mic and headset so they can talk to each other. Skip's working the controls, which means the magic sound. <laughs> and he goes, so he starts walking him through it. And then he goes, okay, Ron, I want you now to put yourself in the lecture hall. And I want you to tell me what is at the front of the room. So Ron starts talking and he goes, you mean different than what was at the front of the room already? And he goes, yes, Skip had gone and put something in there. So Ron starts describing this huge box that's about shoulder high that has this plastic over it. And then he can see this orange nose and it looks like red hair. And he kept describing it. And I've actually heard the video, I mean, the audio myself. Um, They had it up right after the movie came out and had to take it down. (laughs) um, It was a it was a stuffed toy clown. And he wow. remote viewed and saw it. <laughs> so the story goes, I don't this is just the story I've heard. He submitted uh-huh. his manuscript. He had this story in it, but he also in this, you know, told the, the true ending of the story. I remote viewed. Mm-hmm. The editors took it out. So that's wow. why we weren't in the book. But see, that's good news. <laughs> we didn't want to be in that book. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you say you didn't want to be in the book? Because he would have been debunking us. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. And I'm curious, is that something that you've had to deal with, uh, you know, throughout your time in Rowan Institute, skeptics and people trying to, you know, debunk or, or criticize the work that's been done? Oh, I mean, that's common with anything like this. And it's welcomed as far as, you know, yes, come ask us questions, um, question us, don't believe everything we say, you know, and actually that's what, you know, Bob's whole premise was behind this is go find out for yourself. Mm -hmm. He didn't tell you about his experiences. I mean, he did write the books that were the journal, you know, the journals, but when he was dealing one-on-one with a participant and they would ask him questions, he would go, go find out yourself. Now I'm not, I'm not here to give you the answers. Yeah. Just the uh, techniques to figure them out for yourself. Exactly. That's, that's all. We, and so, you know, that's, that's just it. And that, I'm glad you said it that way because all this is, is a tool and all of our trainers, all of our participants, anybody that's been listening to us that we've never met before they have all different types of opinions, beliefs. We welcome it because that's not what we're here to do. We're here to provide a tool to help you live a better life. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. And again, I mean, I can just say from personal experience, you know, the first uh, meditation I did was just 
so phenomenal. I think because the, the first intro one's even available on YouTube for free. So I tried that one and it was just the deepest, kind of clearest meditation I've done. And then as I've continued through the, the gateway experience, I mentioned to you, Alan, last week I had my first yeah. out-of-body experience, which was just unbelievable. So I, <laughs> I can definitely attest that it, this is not, you know, hocus pocus. This stuff really works. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. But let, let's do step back, though. Everybody does this in their own time. So, you know, it might take a little bit more time or understanding or even self-evolution, you know, to have different experiences. But if you have that desire, you can do it. It's just, yep. it's a, it's attention and focus. And you mentioned remote viewing, and I think it'd be great to talk a little bit more about that in particular. And, you know, I thought it was interesting to see on, um, the website that Bob Monroe, uh, there's a picture of him with Russell Targ, who I had come across you know, a while back through his work on remote viewing with the CIA. So it would be cool to hear a little bit more about you know, what, what that is and, and what type of work is, is being done on that front. You know, as far as um, research with remote, remote viewing right now, we're not, do, we're not involved in any research projects, but we do teach remote viewing. And we actually are fortunate because we have Joe McMonagall as um, our one of our trainers, and he is known as Remote Viewer 001 for the government's um, program that we that was initiated after they de- determined that Russia was already delving into these kind of activities. So we're very fortunate that we have Joe here because he is so knowledgeable and a great storyteller on top of that. Um, so I would say that um, we definitely delve into remote viewing with our discovery program we do remote viewing exercises and that's where we're working with the different with binaural beats which is um, trade name hemisync and then our monroe sound science uh and and doing remote viewing exercises and our last discovery was kind of cool because we had um of all the participants there we did a remote viewing exercise every one of them nailed it now, we've never had that we've recorded 100% success. And what made this interesting is we didn't decide if they were successful. We sent it off to a remote viewing association who who grades, and they graded all the results and gave them first and second place, which is considered passing the test. So uh, we, we are working more with it in smaller um like a discovery because discovery we can only have 16 people at a time so we're working in smaller subsets but yeah remote viewing is is fun and it's different yeah. than you know out of body or lucid dreaming you know you can remote view when you're out of body but it's a totally different type of activity yeah and so would that would that mean it's it's effectively like your projecting your consciousness to a different location in space than where you are presently that's the way i would describe it and it'd be okay. interesting to get Joe McMonagall on here and see what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've been successful. I've gotten a first place when I was uh, was graded. Um, and the uh-huh. way that I look at that is okay, done. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> you know, you reach first place, you don't want to go back. You know. <laughs> but yeah, I think remote view. I, I I mean, I know people who have remote viewing groups and. You know, they're actively doing things together and you can solve crimes with it. You can, um, I, I know people who play the wow. stock market with it, you know, so um, there, there are different activities you can, if you get really serious and focused. 
you can work with it. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, I, I always think about something Bob says in one of the tapes about, you know, consider the possibility that what is possible is far greater and far more, you know, incredible than you could have ever imagined. Something along mm-hmm. those lines. Well, you know, and you can think about it this way, you know, when we do our little, ma- like our idea of, I want to manifest, <laughs> you know, law of attraction. And and so we've got this idea about what it is we want. And we we shape it, we put attention there, we frame it. And that's what we're doing. We are framing it. We are boxing it. We are limiting ourselves so much. So the idea of the, I want the essence of this is the key, not what does this look like? Because we just don't have any idea about how wonderful we, you know, something could be. And and I want to say this, it's a little bit off topic, but just because we are on path, just because we're following guidance, doesn't always mean that it's a, a rosy uh, experience. You know, there there are thorn. There can be thorns on that on that wonderful path, that soul path for you. Um, but just yeah, don't put a box. Don't don't put yourself in a box. And that's something we talk about in Gateway. Yeah. That you can limit yourself. Mm, wow. Um, and so a couple, I, I want to say maybe 10, 20 years ago, there is a uh, document that was declassified by the CIA. And I think that caused a big stir for you guys. So I'd be curious to learn a little bit more about, you know, what was that CIA analysis and assessment of the gateway process? And, you know, what were the events that, ca- that caused that document to, to come to be? You know, so we worked with the U.S. Army and the CIA was just the the agent that classified it and then declassified it. So that's all the CIA's involvement was. Uh, It was it was U.S. Army Division and uh, they would they were sending a few just to have the gateway experience because of what they had seen, uh, how it had been helpful for the remote viewing activities that the government was participating in. Um, This particular colonel, uh, Wayne McDonnell. Uh, he wrote about his own experience. So this was just a paper he wrote to report what he believed was happening here. And it's declassified. You can Google it and uh, read that report. Um, the the interesting thing, and, you know, who knows how this happened. They declassify it in 2003. They Somebody scans it, you know, probably at the CIA, and they drop a page. <laughs> so... When and this was 2003, it doesn't start getting noticed. I don't know if you realize this, Jordan, but it's not noticed until about two years ago. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so it's been declassified since 2003. Well, at some point, someone looks at it, sees there's a missing page, and there's a it's a kind of and I it's, there's a kind, and I can't remember the sentence off the top of my head right now, but there's a ending sentence on page 24 that just is kind of a cliffhanger. You know, you could just if you have imagination, you could take that so many places. <laughs> you find page twenty-five, and it's not—you know—it—it was a—it was a disappointment. I'm sure. <laughs> Once we released it, we and we joke about it. We say we found it in one of the barns. Um, that you know, it's always been there. But actually, the our archivist, when it started coming up that we were miss that this page was missing, she just went and looked at our archives and said, "No, it's here." And we you know, readily shared it because it was it was not anything that we didn't want shared. But that created this you know, this interesting um, outcome that people got very curious and t- 
took it down a, a, a an interesting path. Um, th- that's all it was to that. <laughs> yeah, what I say, I mean, even with the uh, with the mis- mysterious missing page, it's just it's been uh, a really interesting port for me to read and just kind of understand Wayne's kind of assessment of the actual science behind it all and how it all works. So that has been a very valuable, you know, piece of uh, document to read. And, and so mm-hmm. I'd be curious, you know, do you think it's, it's generally accurate or are there any maybe inaccuracies that people who, who read it should be aware of as, as they're going through it? I would just say it's one man's experience and his interpretation. Mm-hmm. And you need, we need to leave it at that because um, sure. I haven't read it in detail recently, so I couldn't pick it line, you know, line by line apart. But again, it's just, it's someone, it'd be like you attending and writing a paper, except yours wasn't official and <laughs> submitted uh, to the army. <laughs> That's funny. Do you think that um, our military and our intelligence community in general is more receptive to uh, the, the practical reality of altered states and higher states of consciousness than the general public? Do you think that's a fair, fair assessment? You know, that's a that's a difficult question for me to answer, but I'll say, and I referred to it earlier in the interview, I think what triggered the government's interest as early as it was triggered was because of what they saw Russia was doing, and Russia was a big threat. So that made them open up the door to possibility. But what happened is even though they opened that door, there were a lot of people on our side that thought it was just crazy. So it was a very it had to be a very closed little secret society uh, but it was a very effective one i mean they they had some there was some intel and things that happened in those years that we had this active program going on that saved people's lives that located um you know instruments and devices that we needed to know where they were uh, so that either we could, uh, you know, just know where they were, keep an eye on them, or dispose of them, or or help get them uh, moved. So um, that's why I think there was more interest there because the people that were in charge of it were seeing the results. Mm-hmm. It was not results that were shared with the general population, so there was no way to gain trust in it beyond, you know, the slow growth that we've had with it over the years. And I think to your point earlier about us, you know, hopefully being on this kind of inflection point where people really start to take the science seriously. I, I, I do agree. And, you know, I'm obviously much newer to the uh, consciousness community, but I, it does feel like there's just a, a tremendous amount of momentum in mm-hmm. the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, the more that the more that we can demonstrate that this is happening, you know, I mean, research can always be questioned and it can be influenced. Um, but the more that we can demonstrate this seems to be happening, I think the more then it takes a life of its own. And I, I even remember um, when I, I I started in, I showed up here in 2009. And when I showed up, I didn't want anyone to know I was here. <laughs> because the people around me, I didn't know how they would perceive it, if they would think I'd lost my mind. You know, was I crazy? What was happening? And so I think we've also made a big shift culturally in that direction too, where we're more, we can talk more openly about uh, our communication with our higher self, or, you know, um, I got guidance on that, or I got a, um, some kind of symbol that is 
given me uh, the uh, support that I believe I've made the right decision. You know, th- those kind of people are talking more uh, openly about those things than, than we did even just 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, you know, and on that note, you've mentioned a few times on some of the courses you train and uh, how this work can be used for healing with pretty tremendous effect. And so I'm curious, you know, over the last 40 years, uh, what have you learned or are there, uh, is there guidance you can give to folks who are maybe uh, looking for, um, looking for healing, but haven't necessarily explored alternative modalities in the past? Yeah. So here's the thing. And again, I've, I've had the luxury of working with a medical doctor. So I've, I have some additional insight into this, but conventional medicine, we do really well in emergency situations. That That's where we excel. Where we have difficulty is in chronic illnesses and then some diseases that we just, we, we manage symptoms. We, you know, we haven't found cures. So what happens then is that leads to a lot of suffering because we're not, you know, we're, we really don't have pain management down. We, and then of course we don't have the, um, this, and I'm talking about conventional and also uh, the, the uh, chronic diseases, the support of that. So people still live with a, a lot of pain and discomfort and spreading of it or worsening of it. So that's where the alternative modalities can come in and be very supportive. And yes, I mean, you can have miracles. You can have, you, you can work with energy healers and, and they're, that changes everything for you in the positive direction. Or it could be that it's more of a comfort, just provides additional comfort than what you were getting. So Brian and I both believe that marrying the two is very helpful. You know, that you're working with these energy modalities and other things like acupuncture or, you know, there's all kinds of things out there. Um, and then you're you're doing what the, the conventional medicine is recommending. Brian always says, you know, like people who say, I will never take chemotherapy, they get diagnosed with a uh, certain type of cancer that has a 95% cure rate. If you take chemotherapy, you know, uh, maybe you should rethink that and then use the conventional, I mean, use the, uh, the uh, complementary, complementary modalities to support you as you go through that um, pretty rigorous treatment. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, and you mentioned the word miracles, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, too, because I think I used to, you know, maybe maybe not believe in the whole concept of miracles, at least in the sense of maybe the spiritual attachment that I put to it. Now I've kind of come full circle on that. And, and for me, I think in, in some ways, miracles are just ways of, manipulating or working with energy that we just don't understand yet. And so I'd be curious to get your perspective on, you know, what that word miracles means to you and and how maybe that's changed for you over time. Well, I've witnessed a lot of miracles because of my work with Dr. Brian daily. Um, We, we use Reiki as our energy healing method methodology. Uh, And then we also use a sound technology, which we believe combined is very powerful but I'm influenced greatly by the work of Dr. Hawkins, as I mentioned before. And he, his um, teaching about that is that once we get up into a higher vibrational state, so together, and it, it doesn't even have to be together, it can be the individual, but let's just, for example's sake, say together the practitioner who's working with the individual and the individual at any moment, whether it's 30 seconds, whether it's five seconds, whether it's a minute, they reach that higher state of 500 or above together, healing 
can, that's where miracles occur. That's where healing can be uh, miraculous. And I believe I've witnessed that um, on more than one occasion. And um, the other thing is we have to also understand, and, and I'm, I'm referencing in a healing too, uh, again, but we, we have to understand that we're not always uh, supposed to be healed. And so we, you know, people sometimes will, you hear people say, well, what did you do to cause that disease? You know, what, what's wrong with your energetic body that you got that? And to me, that's so off the mark because it, it, there's so many factors here at play. Some of it could be a contract. And again, this is just me with my opinion. It could be contractual, meaning this is an experience that you signed up for. (laughs) Um, It could be that it's something that's helping other people in your life that you've signed up for. And it could be that it's a lesson that you're needing to learn before that healing can occur. And we have witnessed, interestingly enough, and more than once, where people's uh, diseases have completely disappeared, but they come back. So what is that? You know, I don't know. So we witness a miracle and then it's different. You know, so there's a lot to there's a lot we don't know that that's happening here and and why things are happening for individuals. Oh, another thing I want to mention is um, and David Hawkins talks about this is go look up the research on multiple personalities. So one body. Three personalities. Each different personality that comes in has different physical conditions. And there's been documentation of that. So one personality doesn't wear glasses. One personality doesn't have arthritis. Yep. So that just is mind-blowing to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. In David Hawkins' work, the mind is more powerful than the body. So you have to remember that. The mind is more... So the mind is is the God to the body. So the mind can really help heal the body. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it, it uh, is complementary to a lot of the work being done by folks like uh, Bruce Lipton and epigenetics. Right? It's all, all kind of related in that sense. Um, and, it, you know, as you're talking about miracles and healing and, and that kind of thing, too, I think uh, a lot of. You bring up, you know, a really deep and, and important point about, you know, sickness and why did I get sick and and this kind of thing. And, and I think that extends to all kinds of suffering or death or whatever it may be. And I think it comes back to your conception of death in the sense that, you know, if you truly do believe that death is the end, as I feel like many in our society have been trained to believe, then your your gut reaction is to think of this as like the the evil thing or the bad thing that you want to avoid at all costs. But if you, you know, change that mentality to say, I am more than my physical body and death is just a transition point to whatever comes next. And this is just, you know, what your soul's journey, part of the learning experience was meant to be in this physical manifestation. I think it really helps to reframe it in a little bit more of a a positive Mm -hmm. outlook. Mm -hmm. And I, I go back, you know, I keep saying, try to step out of whatever the misery is or the pain or the suffering and, and be the observer. I know it's not easy. I've had misery and pain. And so, you know, don't, don't do it till you're ready, but the more you can move yourself to that space, um, it, it's just a better way to be observing uh, what's happening. And, and also the flip side of that is when joy and, and happiness are happening or contentment or peace, step away and be the observer of that experience as well. 
Um, now, I wanted to ask you about this idea of non-physical friends. Okay. <laughs> so that was a meditation that I just did on the gateway process, um, and it involves you know, connecting with non-physical friends or uh, spirit guides, as they've been called in, in a lot of other you know formats. So um, I'd be curious to get your perspective on you know what do you, I mean. Who do you think those non-physical friends are? What what are they? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think they're all different. Um, it's it's hard. You're not going to be able to lay, put one label on it. I think it comes from many different sources and many different places. The reason that we say equal to or greater than ourselves is because we that's we really, in my mind, we want to be um, having those kind of conversations with with those who are at least equal to us. And I actually, I drop the equal part. I actually say greater <laughs> than me. I don't want advice for somebody equal to me. Um, <laughs> but we do have to, you know, think about this. When we are getting advice and we tap into something, we tap into some communication, don't necessarily make that a special message because that's that could very well be um, someone, some entity with an ego that just is, you know, a little bit in a different space than you, but um, that can guide you on some level. But again, it's not the minute that you that you're um, thinking that you can't make a move unless you are getting advice from non physical friends, then you're in trouble. You know, that's that's not what this is about. This is more about nudges and helping you stay on track and. You know, I can I can step into these spaces where I'm actively seeking communication, but a lot of it comes from the other way around, where I'm getting those nudges, or uh, maybe I hear a voice because I'm clairaudient that's that's saying something, and it's not about you must do this. It's more about hey, have you thought about you know <laughs> um, again because we have free will. Um, but I do believe it's out. I do believe all that's out there. I think there's different layers of it. I know the explorers that I talked to you about that Bob, um, worked with, they were having, um, different type of, uh, transmissions come through the different sources. You have people who claim to be talking to, you know, like the Palladians and, you know, so, I mean, I think there's, uh, I think it's a huge world out there that we can access and and receive help and inf- you know, information. I remember when I was first starting all this and it was at, when I had my gateway at, at home um I was introduced to an advisor that I I called her TA and so I so she would show up during a lot of my meditations and by show up just give me uh, I could ask a question or she would maybe give me um, some kind of indication either clairaudient or just knowing and at one point I was having a meditation and she said okay it's time for me to go uh, because you have you're in a new space now you're learning new things that is not where I'm going to be able to help and contribute so it can be I see it as it can be a, a self-evolution. A, it's like another tool in your self-evolution and someone kind of whispering in your ear, so to speak, that's giving input, things to think about, but it's not um, a, a directive or you must do this. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, it makes it makes sense. And it's similar to a friend of mine, you know, who works with tarot cards and she's kind of explained to me that it's like, it's not like you're necessarily telling what the future is. You're showing what the different 
potentialities could be based on kind of your highest or, or lowest or whatever uh, right. outcome. And the minute after you've um, had that experience, and then you know you've had a uh, maybe you've made two decisions in two hours after that, it could totally be a different thing because the playing field has changed. You know, and so I find that interesting when people are talking about, well, that they didn't know what they were talking about saying like a psychic because that didn't come true. It was like, OK, but what choices did you make? And and not that all psychics are telling you that, you know, it's not I'm not saying that that's all true because you have uh-huh. to be very careful and be selective about um, who you're getting advice from that's um, in this reality with us. It's funny, it makes me think of that scene in The Matrix where the Oracle's like, oh, don't worry about that face. And then he's like, what face? And then knocks it over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's just a, it, it's a moment. You're getting information in a moment. Uh-huh. But then life happens and you need a new moment to get information. You know, it's just like you can think about you're on a ship, you've got the compass and if you steer off a little bit, you you would if you didn't correct it, you'd land in a totally different place. So you just got to keep, you know, getting it back on course so that you, yeah. you know, get to where you're going. So the same when you're getting that type of information, it's in the moment, and then it has to be adjusted. And then it's in the moment, and then it has to be adjusted. So Alan, what uh, I guess what comes next for the Monroe Institute? You know, you talked about the expand app. Hopefully now with COVID, hopefully you know being less. Uh, less of a restrictive constraint, you'll be able to do more of the, you know, in-person programs again. So just curious, yeah, what, what comes next? Yeah, so we opened our campus last August, and we've been um, open ever since. We are putting a lot of energy into the app. So we have a really lofty goal, and that is to reach 1% of the population in 10 years. And by reach, we've defined that as that person having an experience, a direct experience through the sound technology. That's a lot of people if you do the math. <laughs> so it's a very ambitious goal, but we believe the app is a big, what, you know, a big significant way that we can, can do that. Uh, of course, we're always evolving with programming. We've always been international, or not always, but we have had international um, trainers for many years, but we'd like to see that expand and have things in more languages. For example, with the Expand app now, we're now we've now uh, formed a committee of uh, many of our international trainers so that we can translate into other languages. That we can open that up to a much wider use and accessibility for people. Uh, again, programming we're always um, looking at, at different ways that we can put together the material. We just created and and had a very successful course about near death that was in April. Uh, We'll continue to do these uh, different webinars. What we really want to do right now is get more of these inexpensive, easy time commitment programs out there so that more people at all levels um, can have an experience and enjoy it. That's great. Well, hopefully we can uh, get some more folks uh, on this podcast interested. We'll make sure to include in the show notes links to both the Expand app and your website, MonroeInstitute.org. 
Um, and with that, just wanted to say, Alan, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been such uh, a fascinating and interesting conversation for me personally. And, uh, you know, look forward to making it out to Virginia for uh, an in-person session at some oh, point. Oh, yeah. Here. Yeah. You have to let me know when you're coming, so I'll be sure and be here. <laughs> okay. Will do. <laughs> great. Well, thanks again so much for the time, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. In this discussion, Alan described how the Monroe Institute is a Hogwarts-type institution for adults. I loved this analogy, and as I've continued to peel back this onion we call reality, I've become increasingly convinced that our world is much more like that of Harry Potter's than I'd have ever thought possible. This leads one to question, is magic real? To answer that, we need first consider what exactly is magic. That word, like another we discussed in this episode, miracles, can carry a lot of charge and mean different things to different people. One of Merriam-Webster's definition is the use of means, such as charms or spells, believed to have supernatural power over natural forces. Another broader definition that I prefer is that magic is technology that lets us connect with energy. When we think about it from that standpoint, we're forced to realize that there is magic all around us. Telephones, automobiles, the internet, these are all technologies that tap into various forms of energy like electromagnetism and internal combustion. Present these technologies to someone living just 100 years ago, and they would likely view them as pure magic. So with that perspective in mind, we're forced to consider that abilities we currently consider magical or supernatural are simply technologies harnessing energy that we don't yet understand. First and foremost on this list are the technologies of consciousness latent within every human being. When we talk about practices like remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, spoon-bending, and precognition, it's easy to want to dismiss them as impossible. But to me, these are just examples of technologies used to experience the energy of consciousness. We're just barely scratching the surface of what consciousness truly is and how we human beings can access it. The only thing stopping us from discovering the magic of consciousness is our own self-limiting beliefs. Do you believe in magic? My view, whether you answer that question yes or no, you are right. 